Hallelujah. Lord, we thank God for the training we've received in Malaysia at the SOP because we're trained to be machines. And we just start at the same level that we were at before. Amen. So are you alert? All right, you're in the spirit. Or not the wrong spirit. Hallelujah. No visions right now. All right. Hallelujah. All right, come with me to Luke chapter 11. So, so far we've talked about delegated authority, inherited authority. We've talked about how uh, at this point in time the disciples weren't even born again, and yet they're getting results because of the name of Jesus and the assignment that they were given. Amen? And at that point in time they didn't even know how to pray. Hallelujah. In fact, you find the same thing in Acts chapter 3. It says that, that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. So they were not prayed up. All right? So everyone that thinks you have to go pray before a miracle happens, I'm not saying you don't pray, but I'm saying there's always going to be a time when you're caught and you're not ready. All right? There's all, you should have a time with the Lord. You should have intimacy with the Lord. Amen? But there are, ti- there are times when you're not ready. I mean, Jesus, J- Jesus didn't have the luxury to create an, an atmosphere. You know, you're, you're, you're filling up, you know, your car with gasoline or petrol, whatever you guys call it, and, and, you know, someone needs help. You can't say, just hang on, let me fast and pray before I help you. Or call up the praise and worship team and say, can you guys create an atmosphere for me first? And then, and then are you hearing? Now, there's no doubt that when we do build an atmosphere, that, that things can, can definitely break out, and God, God wants to invade the city. There's no doubt about that. But see, how we un- our understanding of that uh, has to change. Amen? So when we say, and we're, uh, we're going to get to this, but... Okay, I'm going to be disciplined. Thank you. All right, Holy Ghost. Okay, Luke 11. I keep saying Luke 11. We never get there. Okay. So we've talked about persistence, verses 5 through 9. Talk about persistence when you meet resistance. That rhymes, hallelujah, we're in the flow. Persistence when you meet resistance, amen. Sister Robin has a testimony that we'll share. We'll do it later, but remind me, okay, because I, I forgot about that. Uh, actually, why don't, why don't you come real quick? Can you just, I just don't want to forget, just, you know, little things God's doing. I just came up at the end of the last session and said I just wanted to share a laugh with you because um, my husband's name is Kevin and God did tell me that I had to marry him. <laughs> so we called, we called out the right name of the man. That's good. Hallelujah. So God has a sense of humor. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's, now let's look in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, how many are evil in the house? Okay, you're not evil because you're born again. So please, he is now speaking to people that are not born again, so you're even after a different order now. He's telling people that don't even know God. If, if If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say that, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? All right, so the Spirit of God is the one, the one that does the work. Amen? So one of the things John Lake taught about is that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, but He's a substance. You say a substance. Yes, a, hev- a heavenly material. 
because he's called the river of God. He's the fire of God. That's why I said before there's an aspect of power that it's mechanical. All right? So just, just like, do you remember the illustration I gave how the helper was following me? Right? Now you, you look at different, different uh, an example would be Elisha. Remember when he, when he gets the mantle? All he, all he needed to make it work was the mantle because God, the Spirit of God was in the mantle. Are you with me? He follows Elijah for 14 years. He, he, he stays on the job. He gets the double portion. Right? Okay, what's the double portion? There's not, there's not like a double anointing and triple anointing and quadruple, quadruple anointing with cheese. I want a double, triple portion and, you know, with a shake and chips on the side. No. Okay, double portion, double portion refers to when Elisha said, give me a double portion of your spirit, he said, consider me your firstborn. Consider me your firstborn. And that's one of the dimensions of Zion in, in Hebrews 12 is we're part of the church of the firstborn. And we're going to get into some of that. We, we, can't, we can't deal with all of it, but we, I will talk about the church of the firstborn because that's one of the keys of coming out of an Old Testament mentality. So when Elisha received the mantle, it was up to him how he used it. Right? So God trusts, he wants to trust you. So the, so the issue is, does he trust you? If he trusts you, then you'll do the right thing. How, how will you do the right thing? You go by what is in the commands. You operate by his nature. Do you remember what I said before, how it can't be that God dictated to Jesus every single thing to do? Because Jesus said... Whatever I see my father do, I do. Whatever I hear my father say, that's what I say. But what, where was he seeing his father do something? A lot of people think, okay, there's a blind man, and Jesus saw God the Father come and heal the blind man, and then so Jesus healed the blind man. That doesn't make any sense, because if God the Father healed him, he'd already be healed. Good afternoon. Where do we get that? That's just, see, there's only two reasons to fail. Two reasons. Traditions of man, doctrines of devils. Unbelief. Traditions of men are basically doctrines of devils. Okay? And unbelief. That's the only reasons why we, we can fail. So if we knock off the wrong, the wrong beliefs, the wrong doctrines, then all that's left is to believe and trust in God. Amen? And that's why we'll have success. Hallelujah. How many believe God wants you to be successful? He wants us to have results. There's a time that he makes the man. He ma he, he, he's making us. It's true. There's a, we don't always, you know, Jesus grew in his ministry. For 30 years, he was just learning obedience, right? But then, but then, he, but then he started having results. He was full of the Spirit, right? He, but he returned in the power of the Spirit. So when he, so when he says, I, I do what I see my Father do, He's doing what he sees his father do in the Word. That's how he found out who he was. He discovered himself in the Word. He read Isaiah, and the Spirit bore witness, this is you, this is who you are. It's not, it's not just like, you know, God always was appearing, and he said, son, do this. Because if that's true, then you can't do that. You know, even if you see one angel, you don't see one every day. You know, it's like your personal chaperone, your butler's an angel, and he comes in, okay, today this is what we're doing. It can't be that way. That's what cripples the church, because, because we always feel like we're not, we have to be dictated or told step by step what to do. 
God, but God doesn't want you to be a robot. He wants you to be led by his nature. So led by his nature means what would Jesus do? We used to have those bracelets, and that was a big movement. What would Jesus do? Except no one did what Jesus would do. We thought it was just like a moral thing, like a nice, being a nice person as a Christian, a moral, you know, being holy and moral. See, it, it's more than that. To be as he is in this world, as he is, so are you to be in this world. Not just nice, not just holy, not just moral. It's more than that. The commandments of God are first moral and then spiritual. They are first moral. There's, there, 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 there's a holiness involved. Amen? But, but then it is spiritual. And every, every healing is in the spirit first. Because with the heart you understand. With the heart you receive. Not with just your mind, but your heart. If you believe in your heart and don't doubt in your mind. You, you confess with your, with your mouth. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. So this is the heart, the mouth, the mouth, the heart. This has to work together. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's get back to it. Luke 11, because we're going to go through this. Oh, we've got sound effects. Hallelujah. That's okay. Don't, it doesn't bother me. If everyone's phone goes off, it may be distracting. But you're all right. We're in the house of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Someone say God's in a good mood. Amen. If you're not sure, just talk to JR. He will, he will convince you. All right. Hallelujah. That's, that's a fact. Hallelujah. So Jesus discovered himself in the Word. Amen. The Word is a mirror. You have to find yourself in him. That's why your life is hidden in Christ. When he's revealed, you become revealed. Amen. So see it in the Word. Okay? Verse 14, he was casting out a demon, and it was dumb. All devils are. That was a joke. They have to be dumb to rebel against God. Okay, but this is meaning mute. It was dumb. It came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And others, to, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. And he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls or cannot stand, it says in the King James. If Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul. So there's some, this tells us there's some kind of organization in the devil's camp, right? I'm not saying he's totally organized because he who's deceiving the world is also deceived. Right? But there's an army there. Verse 19, if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, whom do your sons cast them out by? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But I cast out demons, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God is the Spirit of God. Amen? And so the concept is, God expects you to use His Spirit. I was talking about the mantle not too long ago. Elisha used the mantle. Are you hearing that? You say, but I thought God uses me. He does, but He, he gives you equipment. He gives you things that He expects you to operate in. Right? Right? It's like if I'm a policeman, I, ha I have a badge, and that's my authority, right? And if you, if you don't honor my authority, I have something called a gun, which you, you will respect, my gun, right? So don't park here. I don't have to listen to you. 
don't park here. It's like, oh, you know, that's, okay, that's how devils are. Your, bad, your badge is who you are as a son of God. That's your authority. Amen? The gun is the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing that? That's the authority. That's the mechanical aspect. But what happens is you can abuse that mechanicalness or power, if you want to say it that way. That's why there's been so many revivals that have been messed up. Because people don't understand how it works. That's why the, the teaching on the Word and the Spirit are so important. Because the last day revival is a revival of the Word and the Spirit. So we want to see the miracles break out. But we need this kind of teaching first because when it, when it hits, you, you, we're not, we can't mess it up again. Amen? Hallelujah. So we need this. Amen? So just be patient. Be, let your heart be full of expectation. But allow the Spirit of God to lay this well in you so that we, we don't mess up what He's giving us. Because we're the finishing generation. Amen? We have to finish well. We have to handle this right. Hallelujah. So God's been waiting for you. I said God's been waiting for you. He's waiting to entrust this to you. That's, what, that's why this is very important. Hallelujah. So Jesus says that He equates casting out devils with the kingdom of God coming. See... The message is what he did. It's not just what he said. It's what he did. This is where the church has fallen short. We're, we have a lot of words. But we have to demonstrate power. All right? Demonstrating power. Let's read on. It's not only power. You understand? See, healing is just one-third of what he did. It's not everything. This is, th these three days are like a spoke in the wheel. It's not, it's not the entire wheel. Right? If you see it as the entire wheel, you're going to be incomplete. That's why we have to have meetings like this that are called meetings. You can't, you can't get everything done in one, you know, in one conference. You know? Teach on the prophetic and apostolic and kingdom come and you know, eschatology and hermeneutics. And then, you, know, you, can't, you can't do it all. It's, so this is a spoke in the wheel. It's one-third of what Jesus did. How much? One-third. Right, what was he doing the other time? He's training his disciples. He's raising leaders. He's teaching. That's why you go through the Gospels a lot of times before the miracles even happen. He taught. Amen? So not only are we going to minister to people, but we also want to teach people how to keep their healing, how to minister healing. Amen? So this is just one-third. But this is what I want you to see. In verse 20, he talks about casting out demons or healing the sick. And he equates that with advancing the kingdom. So we cannot say we're advancing the kingdom and people aren't getting healed. It's part of it. It's not all of the kingdom. Right? We need to affect the education world. We need, we need to affect our cities, how things are governed. But it's not just that. It has to be, see, when we say impact the city, influence the nations, how are we going to do that? When we talk about high visibility and maximum impact, how are we going to do that? It's not, it's not going to be a random thing. Are you hearing that? That's why you've got to interpret the word of the Lord and understand what the, what the word of the Lord is saying to us. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul received the Macedonian call, this is another example of how he was obeying a general command. He's just going. And then the Holy Spirit said, don't go here. He said, okay, and then and he kept going. So he wasn't praying about where to go. He had a command, go into all the world. Is that true? 
And then the Spirit of God forbid him. And then the Spirit of Jesus said, nope, don't. So the only one that could stop him was God. Not depression, no devils. Depression is leaving this place. Are you hearing that? Hear me. Some of you are depressed because you're bottled up. You're not releasing what's inside you. God's going to set you free. Hallelujah. We're not going to go around this mountain anymore. God's here to, to equip you, to set you free, to start a fire that's going to keep burning. It's going to, here's the principle, faith-filled, faithful, powerful. Say it, faith-filled, faithful, powerful. So you, you're in the Word, you, you become full of faith. And you start doing it, but you have to be faithful to do it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. There's so many testimonies, you know. So many people that started off and they saw no results for a while, but they kept, they stayed with it. They stayed with it. They stayed with it. That, so they're faithful. And then they became powerful. So it doesn't always happen, you know. See, we've we got to get beyond this, like God's just going to dump power on you. No, he's not. Are you hearing that? I believe in a revival. I believe he's going to pour out his spirit. But, but, you know, he already did in Acts chapter 2. You got the spirit of God in you. So it's not about him just pouring out. It's about him pouring through. So when we say pour out, we're talking about him pouring through us. Amen? That was in chapter 10. He's going to come to the city. That's the outpouring. But before he poured out, he poured through them. So we want to wait around for the outpouring instead of the pouring through. Amen? So let's get the ball rolling. Hallelujah. So he equates the kingdom of God, casting out devils, healing the sick. That's part of advancing the kingdom. And that's part of warfare. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. Who's a strong man? Satan. He's talking about the devil. Because, he, because the context is, in verse 18, Satan, if he's divided against himself. So he's not divided against himself. He's a strong man. Is that right? He's a strong man. He's high. See, that's why Jesus didn't come to save just to save you only. He came to take back his Father's world. Amen? He came to take it back from the hands of the enemy. That's why we read in the book of Job that Satan could appear before God. He brought the sons of God with him, which were the angels. So these are angels over different jurisdictions of, of the worlds. Right? How did he get the right to do that? Because Adam handed it over to him. So Satan became the prince of this world. Right? The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. But Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So he's the God of this world, meaning the world system. But the earth belongs to the Lord. So in, so in the book of Job, you find how he appears before God, and God picks a fight with him, and he goes through all that, right? But now in Luke 4, when he's tempting Jesus, he says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Because at that moment, it was still his to give. But, so this is what Jesus is talking about, is the devil being the strong man ruling the world. But let's see what happens in verse 2. But when someone stronger than he attacks. You hear that language? 
the stronger man attacks. See, to see this stuff, there's going to be an aggression that you get. You're not going to, you cannot be a passive person and see this stuff happen. There is an aggression. There is a fight. You know how you stop violence with a greater violence? You know how you stop the fire of hell? With the fire of heaven and the stronger fire. Amen? When someone's stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him. Did Jesus do that? Yes. He took away from him all of his armor which he had relied upon and distributes his plunder. He who was not with me is against me. He who, do, he who does not gather with me scatters. Go to Exodus now, chapter 15. What I'm trying to bring out to you is that there's an aspect of warfare that's involved in healing. It's not a passive thing. How many have seen the movie Braveheart? You remember that old movie? I'm glad I'm not the only sinner here, all right? All right. All right. Any, any movie, any movie that has, you know, you, do you remember when the, the two armies are facing each other? You know, and they're the, it's the Scots against the British, right? And they're, they're, they're squaring off. They're, they're not fighting it, but you, they're giving war cries. Ah, they're going like that. And the other side is, ah, and they're, now can you imagine if that's all they did? Ah, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to beat you up. No, I'm going to beat you. Like, t- like kids in a, in a playground. Say, I wanna, you know. What am I saying? I'm saying that the battle cry is all the preparation work in the Spirit. That's your prophecy. That's your intercession. That's your prayer. But until you engage the enemy, you're not doing warfare. You're just threatening him. At some point, you actually got to go out and do this. I'm not saying we shouldn't prepare things. I'm not saying that there's not an aspect that we change things and push things in the spirit realm. But if that happens, then at some point, what you pushed out, it should affect the natural realm. Otherwise, we're going to get spooky and weird. Come on. Well, in this, you know, then people get strange. Well, in the spirit, it's weird here, and, and it's heavy here, and I feel this here, and that, okay. I believe in spiritual environments, amen? There are definitely different spirits that are over different areas, but at the end of the day, you are seated with him in heavenly places. Far above. All principalities, all powers, all thrones, all dominions. So how can you talk to me about open heavens if you don't understand what that means? Open heavens, we should mean the spiritual atmosphere of a city or a place. We're not talking about the spiritual atmosphere in our lives. Because the heavens cannot be shut to you as a child of God. If the heavens are shut in your city, it's all right because you're already on the inside. Otherwise, you're going to have this wrong perspective of God. We've got to, like, we'll use words, press in. Press into God. Okay, what, what does that mean? Push. Press. There is a pushing and there is a pressing. However, if you don't understand that you're already in the Holy of Holies with Him, 
See, it's outer court, inner court, holy of holies. That's man's perspective. God's perspective is holy of holies, inner court, outer court. Where are you at? Holy of holies with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 verse 3, right? You're seated with him where? In the heavenly places. That's where you're at, in the spirit. In the natural you're here, but in the spirit you're there. So you're in two places at once. Right? They've actually proven that in physics. The duality theory, it's real. They've proved, science is proving the Bible. Where you can actually, something can exist in two dimensions at once. So in the spirit you're with him. But in the natural you're here. What, what happens is the devil will trick us if we don't know the word and we think that we are subject to what's happening here. So we've got to press into God because there's all these devils in the way and there's, there's you know, all kinds of stuff pushing you out. That's not true because 24-7 you have access to the Father. Through the blood of the Lamb, through the name of Jesus, you can come boldly to the throne of grace anywhere, anytime, at any moment and have access to God your Father. Oh, I said you have access to God your Father. I don't care what's going on in your environment. I don't care what witchcraft is there. I don't care what person's flying on a broom or what incantation they're doing or whatever. I'm not saying they're not demons, but I, what I'm saying is you have authority over that and you're seated with him in heavenly places. So when we press in, when we say press in, what we really mean is stir up. Stir up the gift. What we really mean is get out of your flesh, get focused, you know, get, get focused on Jesus, fix your eyes on him, let's get together, let's, let's focus on what we're doing, and let's get something done. We're not like there's stuff blocking us from God's presence. That's important. Because your perspective determines a lot. So remember, Jesus is a stronger man. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3. Verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Name is nature. Hallowed be thy name. Name is always connected to nature. Amen? So whatever Adam called the animals, they took on that nature. We're called by his name. Called by his nature. So his name is... We have his nature. The Lord, and what is his nature? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Look at verse 26. If you'll give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So before he was a healer, he was a warrior. Listen to me. Everything Jesus did was an act of war. Everything he did. He methodically, systematically came to do war. Everything he did was an act of war. When he healed the sick, he's doing warfare. You waving a banner around is not warfare. Sorry. I don't mean to be mean, but I get really stirred up when I talk about this because I'm tired of seeing the two armies just shout at each other. I want to see some blood. I want to see some battle. I want to see, come on, let's do this thing. I'm going to get you. I'm going to know I'm going to get you. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, I'm going to beat you. No, I'm going to beat you up. I mean, can you imagine this is what the church has been doing for 2,000 years? Oh, Lord. Someone say, not anymore. Amen. We're going we're gonna to do this thing. God's on our side. He's called the Lord of hosts. He's a God of warriors. Amen. So there are different, don't get me wrong, there are different aspects of warfare. There's spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare is also healing because, because you are dealing with stuff on the ground, and you're setting people free. Amen?
Hallelujah. Before he was a healer, or before he revealed himself as healer, he, re- he revealed himself as a warrior. Okay. Hallelujah. Now we'll finally get to the Old Testament mindset. He- Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews in chapter 1. I think that's like the second page in your manual or something. <laughs> so all this is not in there. That's all right. When you're there, say amen. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world or the ages. There's a distinct difference between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 is talking about the Old Testament, how God functioned in the Old Testament. Sometimes we call it, we refer to it as a Levitical priesthood and different kinds of priesthood and order of Melchizedek. I'm just calling it Old Testament mentality, New Testament mentality, okay? So in the Old Testament, the only way God could speak to his people was through prophets. Is that true? Is that what your Bible says? There, there was only very few people in the, in the Old Testament that had the Spirit of God. Sometimes a, a king had it on him. Uh, sometimes it was someone, the Spirit of God came upon them for a certain assignment, and then it left. Sometimes the prophets, okay? But basically God was talking to his people through the prophets. Is that true? Now in verse 2 it says, in these last days. So now God has a new function. He has a new way of communicating. Do you see it there? Say that in these last days. How is he speaking? Through his son. Who is the son? The word. Okay, so write this down. Number one, we're going to identify an Old Testament mentality. So a person with an Old Testament mentality or mindset always looks to hear God through other people. They're always looking for God to speak to them through other people. Now, will God speak to us through other people? Yes. That's why we need the fivefold ministry. We need pastors and people who are shepherding us and looking over our souls and feeding us. That's why a lot of times you don't see the true church today because there's too few true shepherds. True shepherds feed the flock with true knowledge and wisdom and the word of God. Amen? So we shouldn't complain about it. We should become what is right. Like I said, you should never fight against those that are trying to lead. Pray for them. Amen? Be a strength to them. Don't be like Peter who jumped out of the boat and, you know, he, he walked on the water because he had a revelation and he left all his brothers sitting there. What did Jesus do? After Peter began to sink, he picked them up like a little kitty cat and put them back in the boat. So we're going to the other side. Hallelujah. So God doesn't give us revelation so we can abandon each other because we're holier than thou. No, no, no. That has to end. Amen? That's an, old, that's an old charismatic mentality. However, an Old Testament mentality is always looking for God to speak to them through someone else. So they come to a conference for a prophecy because, they, because they're never confident that they're hearing God on their own. 
Look, if you never get another prophecy, it's all right. I'll say it again. If you never get another personal prophecy, it's okay. Because you have 66 books to tell you what to do. Not only that, you have the Holy Spirit who bears witness with your spirit. So, so prophecy, God, God will send prophetic words to us when we need it. Not, be, not because we look for it and we're always trying to figure out what to do. That's why we have to get out of that mentality. You're a son of God. Amen? You have an assignment. So, so prophet, there are prophets in the New Testament, but they function differently. They should confirm what God is saying. You don't, you don't, you're not supposed to be led by prophets. You're supposed to be led by, led by the Spirit, led by the Word of God. Amen? All right, number two, the Old Covenant mindset tries to earn the blessings. Tries to deserve the healings. All right, so there's a striving there. A lot, a lot of, all of us know we're in the New Testament, but sometimes there are just little things in our mindset that we don't realize we're, we're carrying. You know what I'm saying? And that, that, that actually is what holds you back. When you never feel like you're accepted by God. How can, how can you believe God's going to use you if you're not even sure if He loves you or not? You know, He's happy today, He's sad tomorrow, He loves me, He loves me not. You know, you, you, can't, you can't live that way. God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to know that you're accepted by Him. You hearing that? Okay. God is pleased with you. You said, no, no, he can't be. I'm, I'm doing, okay. I didn't say he's pleased with what you're doing. I said he's pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Do you understand? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Is Christ in you? Or then he's pleased with you. In that sense, you have, you have that. Now, he doesn't want you to do the things that are inaccurate. All right, so the old covenant mindset always tries to earn and deserve the blessings, the deliverances, instead of believing it comes through grace. All right, grace is unmerited favor. You know, old covenant mindset, you're going to think like, you know, this happened because I didn't fast enough. I didn't pray enough. This happened because, you know, why, why must it always be you? You know what I'm saying? Something goes wrong. You say, what did I do wrong? Why is it always you? Why can't it just be the devil? Why can't it be because we're living in a fallen world? You understand what I'm saying? See, the enemy, will, he'll, he'll try to ensnare us and, and get us into this place of thinking it's all based on what you do instead of what he has done, what Jesus has done. So we're not standing on our own righteousness. We're standing on his righteousness. That's why you have to remember, Jesus is your worthiness. Jesus is your worthiness. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. See, what, ha- what happens is, is when we're not living accurately, our conscience will convict us. But do you realize not even the Holy Spirit convicts you anymore? It's your conscience that convicts you. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness, and judgment. Is that what he said? The prince of this world is judged. 
Okay, so is God judging Australia? Is he judging America? Okay. A man receives the judgment of his God. What do I mean? If the devil's your God, you're receiving that judgment because he's already judged. If you're living in, that, if you're living in Egypt, that's, that has been judged. But if you're in Dothan, you're protected. So a man receives the judgment of his God. It's, it's, you know, this, it's not like Jesus is sending the storm. You know, I always, I always make the joke that God's arms, you know, must be short because he can only hit, you know, Louisiana. He can't reach up and get Chicago. Like Louisiana is the only place with sin. We have this strange doctrine. Are you here? He came to save the world. He didn't, came, he didn't come to judge the world. Is, is there going to be judgment one day? Yes, there is. But how, how can he judge everything if we're here? So, so we're going to be the salt that preserves the world. Now, the whole world is in a state of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. So all kinds of things are breaking out. But see, again, you can't mix up what God is doing with what the devil's doing. That's why God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan said, stretch forth your hand and, and you know, touch him. And, and God said, hey, don't confuse yourself, devil. I'm God. You're devil. That's your work. You do that stuff. I don't send sickness on people. I don't, I don't do that to people. So do you realize if you say that God's trying to teach you through your sickness, you're, in effect you're saying the Holy Spirit is the spirit of infirmity? That's exactly what you're saying because he's the teacher. So Holy Spirit is your Teacher, if you say the sickness is teaching you, you're saying that that is the function of the Holy Spirit. How dangerous is that? Well, he's teaching me through my sickness. No, he's not. That's not true. How can that be true? Would you do that to your child? Oh, I love you so much, honey. Here's cancer. I want to teach you to be humble. What kind of God do you think he is? It's not true. That's why if the devil can convince you he's not good, that he's, he, he has this other side, God is good and evil, he's, you know, he's both sides. This, I'm telling you, this is the devil. This is, he's, we're under attack. That's why we have to become strong. Amen? I've lost people I'm close to because I didn't understand this. And sometimes even you fight, you still, you, you know, you still go through battles. So don't receive any condemnation whatsoever. I'm not putting condemnation on you. I'm telling you, we have to be clear who our Father is. We have to be clear. He's for us. He's not against us. The blood of Jesus is speaking for us, not against us. Even if you're wrong, even if, you know, He loves you the same whether you're in church or not in church. I know that's hard for us. Like, oh no, it's not true. Yes, He loves you the same. Doesn't mean, he, doesn't mean he's pleased with it. It doesn't mean that he's, he's happy with what you're doing. But he loves you the same. There's nothing you can do to make God hate you. There's nothing you can do to make him not love you or not extend himself to you. That's why you have to kill this Old Testament mindset. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you just wake up one day and say, I'm now free. You have to continually cast down every imagination. Take every thought captive. Not every third thought captive. You know, every other thought captive. No, every thought captive. Because the enemy is going to try to convince you, no, he's mad at you. No, he, you know what I'm saying? This is important. Especially for those of us that are called to break through because we're taking responsibility to bust things open. 
And so this will be the number one, one of the number one things that enemy tries to do is try to get you to feel like, you know, God's not pleased with you. And that's why things are not happening in the work. That's why things are not breaking out. That's why, you know, like there's some kind of problem with you and God. Isn't that what the disciples did in the boat? They said, Lord, why are you letting us perish? What was his response? Why, why are you so timid? Why don't you, where's your faith? And then what did he do? He rebuked the storm. So as long as you fight with Jesus in the boat, the storm won't be dealt with. You hear that? As long as you're fighting with him, this drama's going, Lord, don't you care for me? Why are you letting this happen? How come this is going on? And the storm is going to keep raging and raging and raging until you figure out he's on your side. He's always the answer. He's never the problem. He's for you. He's not against you. He's never the oppressor. The devil's the oppressor. God hates oppression. You hear that? He hates it. Do you remember what he said to, to Saul of Damascus? Saul's, Saul is on, a, on his horse. He's, he's going, right? What happened? Jesus knocked him off his horse. You remember that? And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Did he say that? No. He, he said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say my church. He didn't say my people. He said me. What does that tell you? It tells you that God takes it personally what's going on with you. He cares about every hair on your head. He cares about every detail of your life. Small, big, he takes it personal. And somehow we've let the devil rob us of of knowing and having the revelation that God loves us. And so we're trying to do all these great things for the Lord. I remember one time I was, I'm sure we all go through it, but man, one day it just dawned on me. I'm letting ministry rob me from being in love with Jesus. I says, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. You, I, I mean, i got to love you. You love me. It can't be like, you know, here I am. I'm trying to do this for you, Jesus. And, you know, striving and working and pushing. And, 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 you know, pretty soon you forget God loves you. Are you hearing that? That's why we've got to be doers of the word, not just laying hands on the sick. What about, what about casting your cares on the Lord? That's also being a doer of the word. What about trusting in the Lord? What about believing that he loves you? Are you hearing that? Write this down. For lack of parental affection. For lack of parental affection. Our need for acceptance turns into achievement instead of approval. For lack of parental affection, our need for acceptance turns to achievement instead of approval. That means all of us, no matter how good our parents were, if you had parents, if you didn't have parents, if they're Christian, if they're not Christian, there's something all of us missed. Because just like a husband and wife, you cannot meet every single need in your mate. You cannot make your mate happy in every area because there's some things that are only reserved for God. Right? So God has created us with a need for acceptance. That's why we are accepted in Jesus. You're accepted by God because you're in Jesus. Do you hear that? You're accepted by God because you're in Jesus. But when you don't let that 
when you're not rooted in love, then instead of feeling that acceptance, you start, you'll start to try to achieve. I remember Papa John that prophesied once that the number one killer of ministry will be achievement, spirit, people trying to achieve. Who's got the most churches? Who's got the most souls? Who's got, who got the most many people healed? Who got, you know, it, why, why do they think that way? Because they're not set in their identity. That's why we don't have to compete with each other. My brothers are here. They, these guys can all preach just as good as me, if not better. And I'm serious. They all have, we all have different graces, and there's no, there's no competition among us because we're secure in who we are. We all bring something different to the table. My father loves me. My father loves them. There's no competition. But see, when we, when we don't allow the love of God to saturate our hearts and when become really secure in that, what happens is, is we, we'll try to achieve. We'll try to accomplish things out of a wrong motive. You're doing it because you're supposed to do it. You're doing it because it's a command instead of knowing, man, God loves you. God, you know, you're accepted by him. Are you hearing that? So you know how many people are successful in the world, but inside... They're not happy. They're not sa- I'm talking about even ministers. Even, even the most famous preachers can be this way. They've achieved so much, but there's an emptiness inside. That's why God wants you to learn how to, how to rest in him and be accepted in him. And it's a conscious choice. It's a conscious thing you have to renew your mind to because it's not easy because our, our, you know, that sin nature will try to pull you back in that self-righteous mode. See, if you use sin against yourself, you're self-righteous. If you punish yourself for your mistakes, you're on the devil's side. You're self-righteous because he's, he's the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't accuse you to God anymore because Jesus has cleansed the heavens. He can't appear before God anymore. Instead of him accusing you, the spirit of prophecy is there. Jesus is testifying in the heavens about you, about me, and all of his thoughts are good and not for evil for us. And every thought of his just for one of us is more than the sands of the sea, and they're all good thoughts. Man, that's awesome. That encourages me. Hallelujah. But see, that's, that's got to lay hold of you. You've got to actually, it's got to get from your head to your heart. It's actually already in your heart and needs, needs to actually get into your head. Because it's already done on the inside. You just, your mind just didn't know it. But when, that's, that's what you signed up for when you're born again. You didn't know that happened. So now you're steadily finding out what's already been done. Are you hearing that? So that, that thing. If you don't if you don't receive that, you'll try to achieve. And then and then you look for man to approve you. That's the pattern. But when you when you receive the love of God, you'll still achieve, but it's going to be out of a rest. That's why Paul said, I labored more abundantly than all these other apostles, but he's doing it out of rest. That's so that's why I want I don't want you to misunderstand me. There is an aggression, there is a violence, there's an aggressiveness that happens, but that's on the outside. Inside, you're restful. He's still the Savior, amen? He's still Lord, he's still the healer. So your job is to be obedient. That's my job. Think more, you be obedient, leave the results to God. Amen? Your job is to believe, your job is to obey. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. 
God wants you to be confident. He wants you to be confident in His love for you. He wants you to be confident in the grace that you have in Him. You hearing that? Someone say confidence. You know when you're most anointed? When you act like it. That's why sometimes you've got to fake it till you make it. Just act like it. Start acting like it. Start walking like it. I'm serious. Let it sink in. This confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we're adequate in ourselves. Are we adequate in ourselves? No, this is not us. This is God. We can't, we can't heal the sick, can we? Not by ourselves. Right? So it's really not about you or me, is it? That kind of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Right? But if you're thinking, I got to do this, I got to achieve, you know, you're, not, you're not resting in Him. You're not understanding. He, you're joined to the Lord. He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Amen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In the Amplified Version, it says that God has made us able, He's made us adequate dispensers of His Spirit. You hear that? A dispenser of the Spirit of God. Oh, man. Think of the implications of that. So you so you are, you are the dispense life. Are you hearing that? That's why you got to learn to live out of your spirit. And that's why we've been trained as well to not be... We don't get drained. Like, it's not going to drain me to pray for you. Because I'm just, it's not me, it's the spirit. It's the life. That's why as we capture, capture this, you know, ever, you know, all these guys have the spirit of God. We're just learning. See, okay, I was in the gym the other day. You guys know what a squat is? I, I could squat like this, about 500 pounds on my back. Go all the way down. Now, I've got the same leg muscles you have. I mean, not the same, the same kind, right? The difference is I've developed my leg muscles and I've worked at it and I've trained myself and I can do that. I have that strength. Now, you have the same muscles. You have the same capacity. We're sons of God. But we see people that are graced differently because that's, what, that's the maturity they have in those areas. That's why God puts us together. Iron sharpens iron. And we're all growing up into him. So I need what you have, you need what I have, and we're maturing. But, so you have to understand that, because if you don't, then you're going to think in terms of, well, that's their gift, that's not my gift. But see, Jesus didn't operate in gifts. Jesus operated in the fullness of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit are kind of like the spare tire on your car. Right? How many are looking forward to using your spare tire when you get home today? You know, that's like a last resort, Right? So what, what, and I don't want to say it in a, in a wrong way, but those gifts are for where you lack. Smith Wigglesworth believed this. He said, I put my faith out. I stretch my faith as far as it can go. And then God's got nine gifts of the Spirit to tack onto there where I, where I can't make it. So it, as we're growing up into him, we're moving in gifts. But what are we going to do? We're going to get more and more mature. 
We're going to grow up in the image and likeness of Jesus. That's our destiny. And we receive the fullness of the Spirit. That's why in the book of Acts, there, was many, there were many baptisms. There were many fillings. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. You, you look at that. Why? Because we leak. Right? We shouldn't, but we do. Right? And we're learning to not leak. Let's wrap up this Old Testament thing and we'll break for lunch. All right? All right. So I've given you two so far. Let's write down the third one. It sounds similar, but maybe it'll help. They'll claim everything's by grace, but they really think it's by works. So that's a mentality that says, if I do this, God will do that. If I fast 40 days, God will move. You can fast 40 days and God doesn't have to move at all. Because fasting doesn't bring power. I said fasting doesn't bring power. Fasting kills your flesh. Fasting gets you out of the way. But power is constant. God is constant. He doesn't change. So fasting doesn't change God. It changes you. So you fast as necessary. You fat when your flesh is getting in the way. You say, you know what, flesh, you've been acting up. I'm going to fast. And that's what Isaiah 58 talks about. God's chosen fast is to set the captives free, to let the oppressed go free. So we're not, it's not bringing power per se. It's a way to show our earnestness with God and to connect and to become focused and to get rid of all this junk. Right? Because Hindus fast and Muslims fast and other religions fast. So it's not, it's not just that alone. All right? I'm not saying we shouldn't fast, but I'm saying we have to understand why we do what we do. Number four, an Old Testament mindset, and this is big, always fears that God is angry if they make a mistake. Or there's a fear. It fears God's anger. Now we should have the fear of the Lord that's a reverence towards God. Amen? Let me show you a very interesting verse. And we'll, well, I'm going to wrap up with these concepts here. How do I want to do this? It's like four scriptures I want to tie together so you can see it. Let's go to Hebrews 12 first. Hebrews 12. God's on your side. Amen. You just have to be on his side. That's the thing. So it's not permission to do what you want to do. It's, it's so you do what you're supposed to do. Hebrews 12, this is talking about the dimensions of Zion. Zion is the perfected church. It's the mature church. Verse 18 says, you, you haven't come to a mountain that may be touched. That means it's not a physical mountain. So it can't be talking about Israel. This is talking about the church. Verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion. So it's a spiritual mountain. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. So just, just capture that. I'm not even going to read the whole thing because I want, you to, I want to hone in on the church of the firstborn. Say that with me, church of the firstborn. Now come with me to Genesis chapter 28. This is when Jacob steals the blessing. 
which could not be taken back. Isn't that interesting? So Jacob was the secondborn, but he received the blessing of the firstborn. The Bible says that you and I, because we're in him, are part of the church of the firstborn. But whether you experience that reality or not depends on your maturity. Someone say, okay. Genesis 28. Oh, wait, that's not what I want. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the gate of heaven. That's in uh, 27, isn't it? Yeah. Genesis 27. All right, so this is when Jacob is approaching Isaac. In, in verse 23, Isaac doesn't recognize him. Verse 24, he says, are you really my son? He's like, yeah, I am. He's a tricky guy, isn't he? Verse 25, bring it to me and I'll eat my son's game. And he goes on. Verse 27, so this is how he actually fools him. He says, so he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. Because he put on, his mother taught him how to deceive. Can you imagine wearing a dead animal and your father thinks that that's your, your brother's skin? I mean... I mean, that's not just a hairy man. That's a really hairy man. You know, you thought, you thought, you know, he, he had his shirt open. You thought it was a sweater, but it's actually him. It's like, I mean, some of the things in the Bible, it's just funny, man, you know. Like Samson, you know. I mean, the guy's not too bright. He's, he's you know, this, what's the secret of your power? He, he tells her three times. I mean, how stupid can you be, you know? The Philistines are upon you. He gets up and he breaks out and he, and he does it. And then he sleeps through it when he actually, she actually cuts off his hair. How do you sleep through that? I guess with those of us with more hair, you have the revelation. I don't know. All right. But remember, say church of the firstborn. Okay, now we're talking about the blessing of the firstborn in the Old Testament. Let's find out what happens. Let's see what he says. Verse 28. So this is Jacob receiving the blessing of the firstborn. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. I want to bring you, I want you to have your attention upon the first thing that came out of his mouth. The Lord give you the dew of heaven. The dew of heaven. Say that with me. The dew of heaven. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 19. Let's find out what it is. Proverbs chapter 19. What does this do of heaven? Oh, no wonder I don't see it. I'm in the Psalms. I'm like, where is it? It's not there. Because you're in the wrong book. Okay. Ah, yeah. Proverbs 19, verse 12. So the, so the blessing of the firstborn has to do with the dew of heaven. Are you, are you with me? Okay, look at verse 12. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So what is the dew of heaven? What is, what is the blessing of the firstborn? The favor of God. Say that with me, the favor of God. So do you have the favor of God? Are you a son? Then you have God's favor. Now as long as the heir remains a child, he differs nothing from a slave. That's the other side of the coin. So it's not just name it and claim it, is it? 
I'm a car. I'm a car. Hallelujah. I'm a car. Praise the Lord. I'm a car. No, you're not. You can say it all you want, confess it all you want, that you're not going to be a car. So we're not talking about just because you say it, but, but this is the reality, okay? Because we're talking about an Old Testament mindset, and the first train of thought we have is it always fears that God is angry with them, especially if you make a mistake. And for that reason, people that think that way rarely will step out and try something new or in faith because they fear God's anger. They fear God's anger, blessing of the firstborn, dew of heaven. What's the dew of heaven? God's favor. But look at it again in verse 12. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. The king's what? What's another word for wrath? Anger. So the king's anger. Who's the king? God is king. Jesus is king. Watch this. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Right? Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What's his weapon? Imitate God's wrath. Imitate God's anger. Convince you God's not happy. God's pleased. You make a mistake, he's angry. So you can never break out because, because as, soon, as soon as you, you know, the axe is already, always ready to fall on you. The lightning bolt is always ready to strike you. So, so we, you know, we have the wrong kind of fear of God. Some people are just totally hopeless. You know, they, th- they think they can go to the king of kings and slap him on his back and say, Good day, mate, how are you doing? And just all this. Th- no, it's not like that. He's, he's the king of kings. You don't, you don't just, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, I told people, they were sitting around, they had their feet up on the chairs and, you know, their, you know, socks off and they're just laying around and eating food. I said, this is not your house, this is God's house. So there's a protocol, right? There's an honor that we have for God. But we have access to Him. He's our Father, amen? And, and the enemy, if we have an old covenant mindset, he'll work overtime on you to try to make you feel like God's angry with you. What is he doing? He's imitating the wrath of the king, but his favor is like the dew. Amen? His favor is like the dew. That's the blessing of the firstborn. So what am I saying to you? If you want to walk in the power of God, you have to come out of an Old Testament mindset, start having a firstborn mentality. Amen? And a lot of it has to do with knowing that God is for you, that He loves you. Amen? Hallelujah. Just write down a couple more and we'll break. Old Covenant mindset always feels like they need to wait. It'll try to convince you you need to wait. You need to wait. Before you help anybody. Now there are greater things that God's preparing us for. And the truth is we're not ready. But there are certain things that you are ready for. And that's in Mark 16. Amen? You're ready to do that because it says believers lay hands on the sick. Believers speak in new tongues. Believers cast out devils. Right? I mean, you know where it's at. I'm not going to go there because it'll be too long. Okay, so believers lay hands on the sick. That's why they asked Bruce Lee, what's the best way to fight, to learn how to fight? You know what Bruce said? Fight. All right, this is the master of kung fu, karate, whatever, and that was his advice. How do you learn to fight? Fight. So an old covenant mindset is like, oh, God's preparing me. Yes, he's preparing you, but you don't go. You don't grow till you go. Amen? You actually grow by doing by acting. Amen? Number seven, Old Covenant Mindset waits for a phone call from God, not realizing that he sent him an email. 
All right, he sent it. He wrote a book. They always want. They always want a phone call. Good morning, son. I would like you to go here today. Okay. Sometimes he speaks like that. I mean, not on the phone, but you know what I'm saying. It's like a hang-up. It's like it's like this this hindrance. I, I, I you know, there are certain things. Okay, thank you. So, if I'm at home, or you're at home, and you do you have garbage day here? Like you bring out the the rubbish, the garbage to the street. And I, at, in my neighborhood, it's every Wednesday. So, if I tell my daughter Sophia, she's let's say she's a little older. I say Sophia. Take out the garbage. It's Wednesday. So every Wednesday, take out the garbage. And then when you get home from school, take the garbage can in. Now, when you're young and immature, you have to be told what to do every day. Say, what, Sophia, what day is it? Oh, Daddy, it's Wednesday. Did you take out the garbage? Oh, I forgot. Take out the garbage. Right? And then she gets home. She puts a book bag there. Sophia, did you bring in the garbage can? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I got to go there again. So I keep talking to her. I keep telling her. I keep commanding her. But then one day, she starts to grow up. And, you know, your heart stops because you see her bring in the garbage can without you saying anything. You say, say, baby, my, my baby's growing up. Hallelujah. Oh. Because you didn't have to tell her what to do. I didn't have to tell her what to do. I think, we should, I think we should give God some shock therapy and just say, you know, without him telling us what to do, we just start doing it. We don't have to have him tell us all the time. I think we'd be shocked if the, if the Lord answered some of our prayer and he appeared, said, Lord, appear to me. Lord, speak to me. I don't, I'm not sure a lot of you want that because if he says, if he actually appears in the temple, he's going to probably say to most of us, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let, you know what? We will wrap it up with Mark 16 and we'll be done. Hallelujah, because that just made me think of something. Hallelujah. Verse 14, afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves and they were reclining at the table. This is after he's risen from the dead. Amen? How many want the Lord to appear? Hallelujah. I do. All right. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves. They were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. He reproached them for their unbelief. And so it's not the word rebuke, it's reproach. Because in Isaiah 54, God, God says, I swear it's like the days of Noah. I'll, I'll never be angry with you again. So God can be displeased, but he won't be angry. It's not the same kind of anger. You know what I'm saying? That's a whole other story. I'm telling you, this is a weapon the devil uses against you. How can he judge you if he died for you? All right, that's a whole other deal. This is what I want you to see. He appears, he reproached them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart. Was he happy with them? No, he was not happy. He's risen from the dead, and he doesn't just say, Hi, guys, I'm risen from the dead. The first thing out of his mouth, he rebukes them. He reproaches them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And then he said to them, Go. Do you see that there? He appears to them. He reproaches them for the hardness of heart and their unbelief. But you know what? Jesus, sorry, you're married to these guys. You're... They're all you have to work with. So then he says, go into all the world. I'm with you always. Come on. That's what it's like. Hallelujah. Amen. We'll write down two more and we'll be done. Any specifics we need? That is direction. Any specific direction we need will be given as we go. 
Not until we go. Any specifics you need will be given as you go. Not until you go. I think the best thing for a pastor to do when he's bored with church is just go, go on the street, start ministering to other people, start another church. Because we're, we're trying to make the same people do something. You know, why do we have to? Let's just get out there. Let's just, you know. I'm not saying get rid of our people. I'm saying sometimes we're so busy ministering to each other and we're getting frustrated. Hallelujah. Kick the eaglets out of the nest. Let's, let's stretch ourselves. Let's, let's go do something. Amen. And then we come back and we, we train again and then we go out again. I mean, this, you know, at some point we have to do that. Hallelujah. So, so specific directions are given, but not until we go. Amen? Hallelujah. Last one. Old covenant mindset does not realize the written word is a more sure word. It's more sure. That's Second Peter. We'll close with that. And then we'll take lunch. Second Peter, chapter one, verse sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter was on the mountain. Peter, James, John. Jesus is there. God the Father is there. Moses is there. Elijah is there. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, can you imagine being there? We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. But we have the prophetic word made more sure. The word of God made it more sure, to which you do well to pay attention to, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So the written word of God is more sure than an angel speaking to you. It's more sure than you hearing an audible voice. It's more sure than if you have an open vision. The written word is more sure. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet.